Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Happy July 3rd. Jack McMullen, Aram Layton on the Just Baseball Show presented by BetMGM. Use promo code JUSTBASEBALL, all one word, and start betting with the king of sportsbooks. All-star rosters are out. We're not going to get into the exact rosters. We already talked about the starters. Um, We'll get into the pitching stabs and the reserves tomorrow with Peter, and we'll talk biggest snubs. Uh, But I think one name comes to mind for you, Yeah, Whit Merrifield over Wander Franco. Did I see that right? Are we sure? <laughs> I think I thought I saw somebody tweet that. So, okay, I want to put something out there. And I don't know if this is just like, oh, here's a classic Aram take that he's just miserable all the Dude time. He hates baseball. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> I don't like, and, and this is just me being introspective because I don't actually totally know the the rosters as it broke down because literally came out right before we went on to record the conversation with walker which was great he was great as always yeah i find myself caring less than ever about the like the details of the all-star one i love the all-star game i love all-star weekend i love the allure that it comes with i don't i don't know if i care like oh this guy got snubbed and this guy did like I get it, but the process is so built to to have guys snubbed that like the the like when they did the reveal show or whatever, dude. I didn't switch the channel off of the Pensacola Buahus. I was watching that. Like I, I, I was. I, I don't know. I m- maybe it's just getting older and not being the 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 passionate little kid. I don't know. I, I just feel like the voting process every year. It's always like, how did this guy not get in? Oh, this guy got in. Like I. 
I don't know. I just don't care. Like if you're if every player there is good, even with Merrifield, some guys d- deserve to be there. Like Fernando Tatis Jr. It's insane that he's not there, but like I'm going to forget about it when I'm watching the game because I'm watching 40 other sick baseball players on the field. I'm not going to be like, shit, man. I wish, I wish Tatis was here. Oh, this is crazy. You're like when Wit gets up, I'm like, oh, if Wander was here, I'd, this would be so much better. Like, yeah. of course, I'd love to see those guys, but like, there, there's 20 other all stars there at all times playing. Yeah. You, you said everybody's good. I'll push back a little bit. I'm not sure if Michael Lorenzen is good or not, but the best <laughs> trade chip. What do you mean? <laughs> No, that's fair. You're right. Almost everyone's good except for it, but that that's that's a different part of it. That's the de facto uh my your team stinks and they have to send somebody to situation. Yeah. No. So I mean, I I think I'm with you and I come at it from like a greater human truthy angle where it's like how the fuck am I going to change what they think? Like why do I need to waste energy on being up in arms that Damian Lillard again, wasn't voted an NBA all-star starter. Like, I just, I can't care enough because what am I going to do? Like, am I going to start a, a protest? Like, are we, yeah. what are we doing? I mean, are, are we going to do picket sign? No, and that's why I like the conversation. Like, I had a blast doing our all-stars. Yeah. That's fun. There's nothing more fun. I used to, it would be even going and filling in the ballot now electronically, I used to love punching the holes at yes. the old uh, football stadium when I used to go to the Marlins games, punch the holes in and drop it in there. Um, I love clicking around and, and and making my ballot. That's awesome. That's what it's all about. But, dude, if a bunch of other people click the ballot and Canadians overrule, like, it is what it is, man. Like, Canada, man. <laughs> it's just there, you can clearly see the fan bases that kind of take over it. I also think part of the reason why I'm a little jaded with it uh, is growing up a Marlins fan. The Marlins best players, when they were deserving, were always like snubbed. And if they snuck in, it was always as a reserve. And I remember I'd be so excited just to see like one inning or two at bat, like one at bat of of one of my Marlins guys. I remember I went out, went out to Los Angeles uh, with my dad to the to the Angels uh, Stadium. So Anaheim, I should say. Um, I forget what year that was, but I was so over the moon to see Hanley Ramirez get like one at bat and to see uh, Josh Johnson throw like one inning. Yeah. And it it was so cool. Um, And and that was awesome. So like, I, I, like, I don't know. I, I think that there's like the, Oh, this guy should be a starter. This guy shouldn't, whatever. Everyone barely plays anyway. So it's like, it's fine. The honor is all the same. Uh, But it's, it's one of those things that if anything, you just feel for the players. Cause like, it's like, there's certain guys like Wander. He's a young player. He's a rising star in the game. He yeah. deserves to be in there. Absolutely. Could tell I feel Martin. that bad for Tatis? Like, eh, yeah, no. Do, do I think it's fair that he was not voted in because people don't like him? Like, I no, I also don't think that's totally fair. But like, yeah, yeah. Could tell Marte he should be in. Yeah, but like Marte. Marte. I'll got forget by tomorrow. Through. Exactly. Like, I, I'm just not going to lose sleep on behalf of Ketel Marte, but we're, we're going to talk about the snubs tomorrow uh, and we're going to be out there. Programming note this week, episode today, the third bonus show with Walker talking about Domingo Herman's perfect game, walking through Domingo Herman's perfect game, um, which is a great YouTube watch. If you want to join us there, um, Episode Tuesday with the all-star snubs and and all-star reserves, just breaking down the whole roster. No episode Wednesday. We record the day before. (laughs) Let's enjoy the 4th of July. What if I do a solo episode? Would you guys, would you guys get mad at me? I would green light the publish. I think I did. I think I did one, one time way back. 
Did you? I just ripped. I think I ripped a solo one way back. If anyone listening knows, maybe we could go back and try and find it. And it was literally just like a state of the union. I think it was like just baseball is this, and like I forget why I did it, why we did it, but it was it was funny. Um, we'll see. Yeah, I, I would assume that would be the schedule. But if I have nothing going on, um, which I plan on not moving, I just got back from Europe. I don't want to leave this apartment. Maybe I'll just rip a solo. Well, I got to work on the fourth. So like I'll, I'll go to the ballpark at like three 30, but if you want to chat before then on the fourth, I'm in too. Uh, but that's a discussion for a later time. I want to talk trades and you've got an article coming out today on just baseball.com. Yeah. You had an international flight to put on your chef hat and get fucking cooking chief. Oh, What's I the cooked. word? I cooked <laughs> and I had a few different, a few different trades. I wanted to kind of to put together here and, it, there's the deadline time is always ridiculous. And that's kind of what I said in the intro. And if, if the article is done in time, cause it's 10 o'clock uh, on a Sunday PM as, as we're recording this and it's almost done. So I'll probably finish it in the morning and then hyperlink it. So if you're one of those folks who listens to us first thing in the morning, I love you, but you also probably won't have the article ready just yet. So check, check out the, um, check out the site at some point by the end of the day. Cause I did put a lot of time into it and I, and it is, it is fun. I tried to base these trades on what I thought was like actually the best fits and both for teams that have pro like the, everyone always just goes to pipeline, picks the three best prospects and sends them out, you know, for, for a big leaguer that they could use. I honestly was looking at it from which teams could use this big leaguer, but then which prospects if I were their general manager, what I think were relatively expendable, expendable has a negative connotation because expendable me comes off to some people like we don't need them. It's not that it's just that you have other guys in that position in the organizational depth chart. And as we get to some examples, you'll see one of them. I already floated by you. So you'll, I know you'll already have thoughts on this and this might be a little light. It, 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 it probably is a tad light. I don't know. It's really hard to gauge the value of Dylan Cease. But I wanted to get into that one first. You wanted to say something? Yeah, I, I'm going to cross-check them with the MLB trade machine, the trade values, and I'll let you know what those numbers are that it spits like, on. So first of all, fuck you. But second of all, sure. No, um, I'm not going to do that. I, no, you should. You should. I, I, almost like, spit my I water don't out. like it. That's the thing. I, I don't spit like my water that out. website. <laughs> I, if anybody knows one thing about me, I fucking hate that site. I want to take it down. I, I've specifically tweeted at them like, I want you destroyed. Um, and, and I feel bad because maybe they did some great people behind it. But shit, man, it's like when you design something with that's well-intentioned and it turns into something horrible, that's what this is. It's like what Peter was talking about with like Rocco's Bass, which by the way, AI's trash. Yeah. AI, AI, I'm the least worried about AI. That, that shit's not that impressive. But a trade yeah. that I put out like using this trade value thing um, – the Mets acquire Anthony Solomito and the Pirates acquire Justin Verlander and Daniel Vogelbach. And that measures out to the Mets are netting positive by getting Solomito. Dude, there's I, the, the one thing I want to like encourage people to do. If you're going to highlight this, like, I love that you do that. You, you indulge in this. Give me your worst trade machine worst trades. Ones. If you're going to send me like, I keep, I'm already getting tagged in trade machine. Shit, like, Aram, what do you think? Like, 
I, I love people that, that, you know, are sending us trade ideas and things like that. So I never want to be mean. Cause it's not, I, they're just checking in. But when I see that machine, I start like shaking, I start like actually convulsing. So um, only send me the most egregious, like this thing is fucked up trade machine uh, trades that you can pull off where it says like even values. I'll give you my first one though. And, and Jack, you can be honest with me here. Um, Cause, and also you got to take the prospect hat off a little bit yeah. um, because we, we have the prospect hat on. So we get excited about this return, but it's important to note that you're trading Dylan Cease here. White Sox trade Dylan Cease to the Orioles for Ramon Arias, who I think is up very underrated. He's a league average hitter so far this year, but he's under control until 2027. Definitely an upgrade in the, in the lineup for the White Sox. Joey Ortiz, who is our number 66 prospect going into this year and has been fantastic in AAA, spot starting in the big leagues. And then Heston Kerstad, who is 100% going to be a top 100 prospect in our update, is just about big league ready. It might be a little light. Ramon Arias, Joey Ortiz, Heston Kerstad. But Dylan Cease isn't pitching to the Cy Young runner-up ability that we've seen. He doesn't have five years of control. It's It's two. Um, if I'm not mistaken, which is solid, but I tried to kind of use the Luis Castillo deal as a loose template, which I thought was a pretty fair reference point here. Um, and I thought that this was somewhere near that uh, in terms of the value, if not slightly more, if you go kind of quality over quantity here, um, because you're also getting a big leaguer. Where, where would you be if the White Sox, so mentally, if the White Sox made this trade? I know it sucks because it's symbolic of like, yeah, kind of this new thing, but I think this kind of package. I'll get to the Orioles side of it, but from the White Sox side, you're rebuilding-ish, but it's not a rebuild. This is a very expedited rebuild because all three of these guys would be starting for the White Sox in September. Yeah, I mean, like, let's be honest here. Joey Ortiz is taking the job from Elvis Andrews right now or pushing Tim Anderson to second and playing shortstop, and we know Joey Ortiz would be a better shortstop than Tim He's Anderson. Elite. Yeah. Um, so you have your shortstop for the foreseeable future. And Colson, Colson Montgomery looks like he could probably play third base. Yes. Yeah. Ramon Arias can do a little bit of both. And what I appreciate about Arias, while I'm not, you know, swayed by the sex appeal of his bat, uh, I am swayed because he was a gold glover last year. My only thought is you're taking Ramon Arias to plop him in Yohan Moncada's spot. So Moncada turns into just dead money. And you're moving off of one of the few guys that helps White Sox fans keep their sanity. I think if the White Sox were to fully sell, the most effective way to do it is to trade Cease. But I think the way the White Sox would do it is trade everybody but Robert and Cease. <laughs> Which is the craziest part because it's like yeah. your two best assets are like, Robert and C's. I, we Robert, they'd rather half ass six things than ace two things because you are never getting Joey Ortiz for Gio or Tim Anderson or anything. No, no chance. Now you're not getting cursed at either. And maybe you can swap Arias. Maybe he's not not exciting enough. You can swap him for a Connor Norby or or for you know. I think Westberg is actually playing a role in that team. They're not going to trade Ortiz and yeah. Westberg, but you could swap them for one of the other prospects. But realistically, you're kind of hoping that Connor Norby is, is Ramon Arias. You yeah. know, Norby has outcomes where he's better, but Arias is not a finished product either. Like he's still getting better in his already league average. I, I agree with you, but I, I would think that if you're trading Dylan Cease, like TA is all but gone. Um, some of the other guys are, are gone. 
I think Yohan Mankata could be a bad contract swap eventually if, if yeah. you do that. Like, they need to reset this team. And, and I really I break down these deals and my whole thought process behind it. Do you think this might be a little light for Cease? I think it could be, uh, especially with this being a seller's market or it looking like a seller's market. If Do I add is- Kyle Stowers to that? Yeah, like that makes me feel better about this. Like Kyle Stowers and then maybe we throw in like a, a reliever. Yeah, sure. Wait, what that that Cano guy? I think he's fine. <laughs> no. no, I was give 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 us Aaron Bummer if I if I'm the Orioles. Yeah. Um. No, man. Like, it's hard because you're you're parting with a staple. But I think as the objective baseball fan, you have to understand that Dylan Cease becomes far and away the best asset on the trade market, yeah. and the best asset on a bad trade market can get you the world. Yeah. So I think you could even up the price. I think Rickon could say, yes, Urias Ortiz, Kerstad is a good starting point. Yeah. And, and let's and, see if Mike Elias panics and adds a Stowers. Yeah. And say, oh, you know, we want Stowers. Ah, no, we're not going to do that. All right. Well, what if we throw in a reliever too? And yeah, then maybe they, maybe they do it. And and that's the thing is with the Orioles is I, I look at it this way. It, you are not only giving yourself a shot this year. This Orioles team is very serious, obviously. I'm giving him, but your help next two years. You now have I mean, even this diminished Dylan Cease would be leading all Orioles pitchers in F4. Yeah. G-Rod looks better. G-Rod can now settle in and kind of almost take a step back. And be like, all right, I don't, I don't need to be an ace because it felt like he was like coming up trying to be an ace. The other thing, G-Rod can learn from a stuff monster like Cease. Mm-hmm. That would be an awesome tutor to have. A hundred percent. And and it just gives you that. The, the Orioles need that guy that could go out. Th- and I know he hasn't totally been that guy this year. He's been much better of late. But Dylan sees any given night can give you seven shuddy 12Ks. Yes. At any given night. They need a guy that can do that. Like they need a guy that's capable of doing it. So when you hit the playoffs, you have a chance that he can just win you that fucking game. And, because that's my worry about the Orioles as we go, like as they go into the postseason. It's like who's going to be that? Tyler Wells going to win you the game. <laughs> yeah, is he going to like you? Every year, I feel like the World Series team has one or two starts through the playoffs where like a starter just basically puts them over the hill. Whether it was that Javier no hitter, Framber, you know, with with one of those outings. We've talked about some of the other teams, you know, that have won it in the last couple of years, where you just have that statement start uh, from a guy that that really preserves the bullpen that that slows an offense that's working and, and gets things rolling. I mean, Snell was doing that for the Rays. They ultimately come up short, but he had some of those statement starts to get them there. Like, I think that that is a big part and it's hard to quantify. Yeah. I got one more. Uh, oh, I got two more. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to decide which, which I want to choose because we've talked enough about Shane Bieber. I'm actually going to skip that one. Yeah. Good. I have the one that I was texting you about that I said you were gonna you were gonna love. I have no fucking clue how to value this guy. By the way, Mets trade Max Scherzer to the Diamondbacks. <laughs> I'm coming home. Yeah, I'm coming. For home. Alec Thomas, <laughs> AJ Vukovic, who's playing out of his mind, and you mean Lynn. <laughs> I don't know. So what is, so I like, and honestly, like this is me being transparent with our listeners. I'm not going to pretend to be the know-it-all that has an understanding of what Max Scherzer's value is. Max Scherzer has been diminished as well and still has been great. He's also been really, really solid of late and he still would be instantly 
you know, the, the guy for the D-backs other than Zach Gallon. And now you have those back-to-back guys where you're like, okay, I and, feel really and good. And Kelly gets healthy too. Yeah, but then then he's a three as he should be. And I know he's been pitching like, out of his mind, but Merrill Kelly, the three, it's like, oh my gosh, that's a great one, two, three. Um, Thomas needs to change scenery. And I think that the Mets could use some control in the outfield. Starling Marte looks kind of cooked. Um, and, and this is a cheap guy that can kind of help them work around the other things. Vukovic is a really, really solid bat that has been better and better and better this year. And then Yumi Lin's been one of the most impressive stories in terms of pitching prospects that we didn't expect much of going into the year. Lefty that has just been nasty. I tweeted about him earlier today. I think he struck out 10 plus in like three of his last five outings. The problem with Scherzer is you got whatever he's going to be owed the rest of this year, which won't be cheap even after the deadline. And then you got 43 million next year. If the if the Mets don't eat a dollar, is that the what the return should be? Or do the Mets need to eat some money for Alec Thomas, AJ Vukovic, who I think is a top 10 prospect in this system, and you mean Lynn, who I think is a top 15 prospect in this system? I think the Mets. Because what's been abundantly clear from Uncle Steve is that he's willing to eat some money to improve the system. He did it in the Angels trade. Yeah. Uh, with Eduardo Escobar, and he's emphasized the importance of the farm system. It's also hard to value Alec Thomas. Is Alec Thomas still valued as a top 100 prospect or mm-hmm. slightly below that? I think sl- I think below that. Um, you think Alec Thomas is valued higher than Joe Adele is at this point? Yes, because I think Joe Adele's failed more. He has, but Thomas has failed now multiple times. But then again, so had Kelnick before this year. So... It's a very, this is hard, both on the Scherzer front and the Alec Thomas front. My thing is, where do you want Vukovic to play? When, when you look at, and I know, you know, hey, you're getting the best bat available in the organization and, and you will, you know, push him up in a situation that makes sense. But is he going to play third base? He's played third base a good bit this year. Like that's Beatty's spot for the foreseeable future. Is yeah. he going to play center field? Like that's Nimmo's spot. He, you're you're getting him to play left, but Alec Thomas is such a gifted defensive center fielder. Like where does that push Nimmo? But Nimmo is a great center fielder. Where does that put, I don't know. It, it would be hard for me to figure out where all the puzzle pieces fit with that return. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the interesting thing is what, what would the Mets want in a trade for, for Scherzer? But what I seem to to be gathering, everything I've read and heard from you know, from from what Steve Cohen says is we want to bolster this farm. And you know, Vukovic is a good prospect who's still a couple years away, who has played first base, third base, center field, left field, right field, which is nuts, by the way. Yeah. Uh, maybe they don't want Alec Thomas. Maybe they want more prospects instead. Well, maybe they want, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe they want a a, a lower level guy. Instead, to bolster the farm, I that might be what they want, but I'm also looking at next year. There's a world where Alec Thomas might be better, a better option than Starling Marte. Yeah, I don't know. I'm with you. My thing is, you know, look at 2024. What does the Mets rotation look like? And it's it's so tough because we've talked about the top heavy rotation, four and five have been such a problem. So I'm almost incentivized to take a Dre Jameson, like take a guy like that. A Dre like the, I haven't published the article yet. So this is, we're almost workshopping an article with folks. Um, I, think, I think a Dre or I don't think Arizona would move Ryan Nelson. 
honestly, I have no idea how they view Tommy Henry, but I think one of Dre Jameson, Tommy Henry, um, or, or one of these, you know, upper levels, minors guys like shit, maybe even five. Yeah. I, th- I think Jameson makes sense. And Jameson's better than Lynn. Like if you swap Jameson for Lynn. Yeah. Cause I think you want proximity too. Yeah. I think, I think that's what we'll rip. Okay. And then should I throw in Bryce, uh, Bryce Jarvis, former first round pick? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jamison, Thomas, Vukovic, and Jarvis. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that could, that could get it done. Is that too many prospects? I don't know. I don't know how to value Max Scherzer. I don't know how to value Max Scherzer take out, either. Take out Jarvis. Just leave it as those yeah. three. Okay. Alec Thomas, Dre Jamison, and AJ Vukovic. Yeah. I like that one. All right. But regardless, what I really want to see is Max Scherzer in Arizona. That's, yeah. that's my priority here is bring that guy back home. Wouldn't that be so cool for him to finish out his, his career, presumably in Arizona. It'd be awesome. Part of this young team, instead of joining a, a team of a bunch of other vets that you know, were like, you know, I think everyone just kind of shows up to work and plays and whatever. And obviously it's not working great. I would love to see a Scherzer that kind of tutors Zach Gallon a little bit. You know, Zach Gallon, dude. How about, Hey, I'm going to grab you from the gutter and pull you out. Yeah. I, let me help you, Brandon. Fott, but also just let me provide some veteran leadership to the, not that they need leadership. They, they seem yeah, to be doing great, but here's the thing though. You've got this youth. You have this insane amount of young talent. If you have Max Scherzer for the pitching staff and Evan Longoria for the hitters, Sign me up for this. Longo's playing great, by the way. Longo's playing awesome. I would like, he hasn't been in Arizona since 2009. That's before he got traded. I would just, I would love to see that. And I think he, he has the no trade clause. And that's kind of why I threw that in there is I figured there needs to be some sentimental value there. Yeah. Why not finish it out where you started in a place where you're going to have kind of like, we hear so much of these older players that are on like the final stages that join a young team or, you know, everything with Joey Votto that we've seen with the reds and it like revitalizes them a little bit. It reminds them of what it was like to be a young player or just with, you know, playing with nothing to lose and, and having that love for the game. And I think this would be the perfect way for the rest of this year and then next year for Max Scherzer to kind of ride it out. Yeah. This one is is, is like the, I'm wild in trade, but I love it. Um, Padres trade Blake Snell and Josh Hader to the Angels for Edgar Caro, Kyron Paris, and Jorge Ruiz. Yes, a billion times yes. Um, so my Blake only- Snell. I'll, I'll just give you context, and then I'll leave you. The, the floor is yours. Snell, free agent after this year. Josh Hader, free agent after this year. Both not cheap. That's why I don't think the return has to be crazy. Edgar Caro, though, is one of the best prospects that will probably be available at this deadline. Sorry, now the floor is yours. No, so Caro, I think, should be viewed in a a very, very similar light to that of Logan Ohapi, where you could flip him 1-1 for a legitimate like multi-year of service starter Mm -hmm. in the outfield or in the infield. And, And not many guys have that level of prospect capital, but Carroll holds that. So I think Carroll for Hater straight up gets it done. That might actually even be an overpay. It'd be slightly expensive for if Hater had a year of control after it would be about right. But yeah, I agree with the rental. It's an overpay. So that's why I kind of think it balances out well. 
And, and that is Edgar Carroll might be a guy that not many baseball fans know when you think prospects like the Carrows, two of the best catching prospects in baseball unrelated are not related, have the last name Carroll. And they're in the same league. Yeah. Yes. Jefferson in the Brewers system and Edgar in the Angels system. They are both 20 years old in double A. Yes. And holding and, and that's own. the important thing. Jefferson might even be better now. And, and you, you know, I've been badgering you about Jefferson Carroll for a long time now, ever since I saw him in the Arizona fall week, but Edgar switch hitter and people look at the numbers like, Oh, well, where's the power and whatever he shouldn't be in double A. He basically skipped high a, they sent him to double because uh, from what I was told, they really liked the coaching staff in double A for him and wanted him to continue to work on the defensive side of things yeah. and, and just keep developing. So this kid's a switch hitter, learning to catch more advanced pitching, just turned 20, posting above average offensive numbers, walking, not striking out. And, and the power hasn't totally come yet, but they don't need him because they have Logan Ohapi and he's not far from the big leagues. So I think this is a perfect trade chip. And then it's one of those in-betweeners where you don't want to trade Caro for Hader because if you're trading Caro, you, you you want control. You're not going to get control in this deal, but you're getting a package of players here that could put you over the top. And we know that the Angels have to be, they have to be like borderline reckless because they need to sell Shohei Otani on returning. And this could kind of be an audition for Snell or Hader uh, in terms of maybe wanting to sign them. These are two free agents. You get kind of an, an up close and personal look. Two guys that are not shy of the headlines Two guys that are big personalities, so probably a good thing to get them up close and personal, see how they fit in. But the way Snell's been throwing lately, yeah. that guy could be your best arm in the postseason, and he's been there. And then Josh Hader looks like like Josh Hader this year, and they have Estevez already. You put Hader, who snub by the way, um, yeah. if you put Hader with him in the back end of that bullpen, along with. Otani, Snell, and 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 Detmers, and I, this looks like a complete, pretty complete team. Yes. So here's what I'm looking at. Um, you move Berea to a full blown bullpen role instead of the swingman role that he's in, or you just full blown put him in the starting rotation and kick Griffin Canning to the long term reliever uh, role. But like, if you can stack Estevez in the eighth and Hater in the ninth, that turns into Cano Bautista type shit. That's Awesome. I feel a lot better about this postseason four, and I know you got to get there, but I feel a lot better about this postseason four if Snell is in the fold. Because right now it's Otani, Detmers, Patrick Sandoval, and Tyler Anderson, who's at a mid fives right now, and Sandoval is at a mid fours. Barry Jekyll and Hyde for Sandoval. Yes. If you can give me Otani, Snell, Detmers, and whoever you feel good about in mid-October between Anderson and Sandoval, like, give me that, bro. That sounds and, awesome. And that was the number one thing for me was upgrading that third spot. Because yeah. right now it's like you, you you don't even know who the third starter would be at this point. It's probably Sandoval at this point. Like Maybe, you, but then unless Tyler Anderson gets hot and then it's probably – like it's it's nobody is is – holding on to that third spot. So if you can push that conversation from the three spot to the four spot, you feel exponentially more comfortable. Yeah. 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 Cause you might not even have to go to the four spot in the playoffs. If, if, if you can ride those three, the, the way you want to um, and so have Berea available for long relief to like that guy, that multi inning reliever, the guy that can start a game in a pinch or can give you five out of the bullpen is so massive in the postseason. 
That's why the Astros were set up so well with Luis Garcia out of the bullpen and Hunter Brown out of the bullpen. Like you need to have some starting depth and you have to view Berea as starting depth. A hundred percent. And so I, people might not like it. I don't know. I'm curious to see what people think. Let us know in the YouTube comments. I'm kind of just messing around. It's literally trades. I'd like to see like, this would make me happy and I'd enjoy it. I think you're in the, the same boat. There's several others in this article. So go check that out. Um, but yeah, like, would you want to see these? Yes, I want chaos. I like trades. I, I, I love NBA free agency because so much shit is happening. Um, I love an active MLB trade deadline. To be honest, I love the time sandwiching the lockout between uh, ahead of the 22 season. Oh, that was, that was electric. Yeah. Cause it was fucking left and right. Like Passon was tweeting 20 times a day with big time news. I, I love chaos and the Chapman trade gave me a bit of a taste. Yeah. And I want bigger shit. Like I want more. I want a trade deadline. Should we wrap on that Chapman trade? Yeah, let's wrap on it. Listen to Walker Bueller right now, people. Week 10 with Walker Bueller. We're going to talk all-star Walker Bueller, two-time all-star. We're going to talk about the all-star experience. We're going to talk about some of the selections so far. Uh, and there's also a perfect game that I guess we have to talk about, too. Uh, what are you drinking today, King? We got something unique. A little smoke wagon out of Vegas. So smoke wagon's a weird one for me. It, a lot of them, it, it's actually really rye-based. It doesn't say on there. Uh, I kind of looked it up and did some a little bit of reading. So smoke wagon came out and it was kind of like a myth, you know, mythical thing. And then over the past couple of years, you kind of find them more and more, but coming out with a lot of different varieties and I was reading on their website. Um, they started making some older ones that kind of the rye, I didn't know this, but rye, I guess, ages faster than corn. So they had some trouble at first and, and now they're kind of mixing the two and, and getting better products, but a really cool one and a pretty cool bottle. I don't know if you guys saw the little, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Cool. So yeah, it's a good one. Uh, my, my favorite part was you go to the, you go to the website, you go to like the description of smoke wagon. It's they had no history, no story of finding a recipe in their dead grandfather's shoe and absolutely <laughs> no preconceived notion of how many or how any of it should be done, but it's just right. really good. Um, right. And sometimes it's that simple. If Vegas is Vegas, much of a bourbon area. I know no, nothing. So I, think it, Kentucky, I think but. it's, I think it's kind of like different now than when I was growing up. But like when we were growing up, it was every drop of bourbon was made in Kentucky, like everyone in the world. And um, now it's changed a little bit. I think one of the big things has always been the water. We have a lot of limestone in our water and that kind of changes the flavor of the stuff. I know it's kind of a, a weird thing, but uh, yeah, for a long time, I think it was all made in, in Kentucky, but uh, now people are kind of expanding. I know there's some in Colorado and Vegas and even, you know, Tennessee's always been Tennessee whiskey or whatever, but I think they're making some bourbons down there too now. We're doing inside baseball like five hours a week on this show, and this is inside water, which is really good. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, we're going to talk Corey Seager as well, which I'm really excited about. Uh, and th there was a great article from Jake Mintz at FoxSports.com highlighting Seager, and I want to get to that in a moment. But um, Seager mentioned the golf game. I know you're a big golfer. You're going to have a great you know, event put on by the Walker Bueller Foundation, which is a golf outing in Lexington. What do you think of Ricky winning a uh, a tournament? I saw, yeah. 
pretty obviously strong. like as a pedestrian golf fan i know ricky is the guy that wore orange and had the bieber cut but ricky <laughs> winning the major was that like very exciting for you yeah i mean I, he hasn't won in four years and and kind of been uh, you know criticized probably a little bit unfairly golf's an extremely difficult game and um ricky was just extremely popular when he was growing up uh or coming up through kind of the ranks and uh, lifetime, lifelong friend of Joe Kelly, by the way. Oh, I didn't know that. So I guess they kind of grew up together. Um, but no, and Ricky kind of went through a downturn, and, and now four years later, he won the won the event this week. And you know, you can kind of see this year he, he was on like this trajectory and hanging in there in the U.S. Open, and and it kind of seemed like it was a matter of time. And uh, pretty cool mentality that he had. I saw the interview with him yesterday. He was like, you know, it doesn't have has to happen. It doesn't have to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen, and and then you know it happens the next day. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool story. We always talk about like Kirsch and some of the guys you've played with through the years that have kind of had an, an an effect on you in a positive way. But how much do you? take in other athletes from other sports that maybe you don't even know personally, but you just mentioned like the mentality there. How often are you watching other athletes that excel at other sports and, you know, kind of just take in the way they approach the game and, and the way they kind of attack it mentally, uh, like with that Ricky Fowler example? Uh, I mean, I think more so like obviously different games and different mentalities and, yeah. and stuff like that. I've talked to Max a little bit about how they kind of handle some of that stuff, but I think, what's interesting is you see these individual sports and then team sport mm. and kind of how the off the field or off the course or off the court or whatever issues are handled, which I think is kind of the biggest thing. Like there's guys that deal with the yips and all sorts of stuff, yeah. injuries that we never know about injuries that you'll never hear about, especially, you know, in the NFL and NBA and, and, you know, in our sport too, but um, these individual sports, you kind of don't have anything, you don't have the shield to hide behind, right? So you kind of get to know these guys in, in a different light and, and kind of more so what they're going through. And um, sometimes it's hard because you want to say, listen, we go through all this stuff too. Um, but that's just part of our game and, and part of how we handle it. So I, I saw you, you know, almost like making light of yourself and making fun of yourself uh, on Twitter the other week. And then I saw Homa doing that yesterday. Went, did he have a hole in one? And then he yep. tweeted out the the YouTube thumbnail of Chris Paul hits huge huge three to like <laughs> cut the deficit to forty two. Like that guy has a lot of fun with himself, and and that guy can take himself lightly, which I really appreciate as like a fan that's watching that. How important is taking yourself not too seriously? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a big part of that, I know at least for Max, is that for a while he he wasn't kind of the Max Homa we know today and, and kind of developed himself, right. He, it was through work and through, uh, you know, being at the range or putting, whatever they do to, to get better. But, um, you know, I, I think it's very symbolic of knowing that like the success that he's having is not like luck. Right. Yeah. Um, and understand, you know, he hasn't played as good the past couple of weeks and, and whatever, but like, he's fine. And, and he's won a couple times and, you know, what is he fourth in the FedEx cup or third in the FedEx cup. So, uh, no, I, I think that's a certain kind of confidence and, uh, you know, can come out certain ways. Gotcha. Um, I want to jump into Corey Seager here because this guy, I, it was a great feature again, and I'll, I'll clip it here in the episode description. Jake Mintz wrote it at foxsports.com and 
I, I guess I just want to ask you, like, who is Corey Seager? Because he brought up a great point. I think his teammates know him well. I know you know him very well. Baseball fans don't know him that well because yeah. no. he doesn't really talk much. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's Corey. Uh, I've gotten to know him actually probably even more since we haven't played together, which is kind of interesting, kind of in spring. And, you know, you see each other in the locker room and things like that, and there's this natural, like, I don't need to go to dinner with that guy. I just saw him for three or four hours, right? But when you're on different teams and different places and then, you know, the wives and, and us go to dinner, it's a whole different situation, right? And, um, you know, I, I think Corey has probably uh, loosened up a little bit since when I first met him, which which is cool. And uh, we went to a wedding in Hawaii this year and got to hang out a lot together. Uh, yeah, Corey's one, probably one of my favorite people I've, I've played with and, and somebody I, I really respect and the way that he goes about his business, which to be honest, is probably a little bit different than most guys. He's very one tracked and, and to himself and, and does what he believes. And, and I think that's really tough, especially when, when you go through injuries like he did and you're out for the, the amount of time that he was. And, uh, you know, he's an interesting one. It's super aggressive on OO, which is kind of not the norm now. And he's so good that he hits a lot of them. But when I remember hearing a couple of years ago when it's not OO, he has he's like top two percent in the league discipline wise. But on OO, he had like the highest swing percentage. So it was like you're facing two different guys at the same time. And uh, you know, obviously did some unbelievable stuff in, in our uniform and in that World Series run for sure. So you mentioned kind of the approach that like early aggression and then you know being able to to spit on tough pitches and then also being healthy. It, what do you think it is that has really allowed Corey Seager in this age 29 season to, I mean, he's been phenomenal in other spots, but right now he's on pace to, to have not only one of the best seasons of his career, but kind of solidify himself as uh, the best shortstop in baseball with the way he's playing. What do you see from Corey versus, you know, the Corey you saw in LA, which was an all-star versus this Corey, which is an MVP candidate. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting that people kind of forget here is he was doing the same trend rookie of the year, then he was kind of getting better and better and better and then got hurt. And um, that, that kind of pause, right, can can kind of change things for longer than people might expect, right? Your elbow's healthy or your hip's healthy or whatever it may be. Like, it may take 200 games. Everyone doesn't really understand, like, when we get to the big leagues, you know, we may have been out a year, but we've been playing pretty continuously since we were nine years old, right? And you're 23 and get to the big leagues that's 14 years to get to where you've gotten. You take two years off, like it takes a little while. And and obviously the Rangers, you know, had a belief in, in Corey when he wasn't hitting 360 or whatever he's hitting. And um, I think everyone knows how good he's always been, but he, he's kind of in a different, different level um, this year. But I, I don't think anyone is super surprised by that. So Aram and I have talked to a bunch of guys, and I know Aram has talked to a ton of guys that would probably label themselves as swing-obsessed um, with the mechanics of the swing and each minute movement within the swing. But reading this article, it, it feels like Corey takes it to a different level. Mm -hmm. I, what kind of obsession did you see with every little detail uh, of perfecting that guy's swing? Because, I mean, it's, it's fucking great. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I haven't really seen – there's a few guys that I've seen that are similar, probably none um, that are as glaringly obsessed as Corey is. But I think probably most of it is based on, like, his goals, right? And, and I think 
remember asking like what he's trying to do, what's he looking to feel, and he just he says he wants to hit, be able to hit every strike hard, which is a crazy goal, right? You think yeah. of all the spins and all the locations and all the velocities and all the different things. And I, I think he truly believes that there's a swing out there that he can achieve, that he can hit any pitch in any area hard. And, um, you know, I guess it's kind of hard to argue against it the way that, the way that he's playing. And, uh, you know, I don't think people really recognize how big Corey is too. Like, Corey's probably in the top 10 largest humans I've played with. And um, he just covers everything, but he's short and he, he just does everything fundamentally so well. And um, even defensively, it makes a lot of things look really easy that, that really are. Who's the biggest human you've played with? <laughs> Kenley is up there. Yeah. Um, it's crazy to think that guy was a catcher. Like, it still blows my <laughs> mind. If, if there wasn't video proof, I wouldn't believe it. Uh, I think he only pitched one game for us. John Axford is a, is a really big man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey's up there. I'm going to, you know, I'm forgetting someone, but I'm talking guys that are big and like broad. Yeah. Albert Pujols is about as dense a human as I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're up there. Say Puig's not a guy I'd want to meet like up the middle. No, no, that's a that's a specimen there. Yeah. I I want to jump to the All Star conversation here because we're closing in on it. It's you know we're we're headed to Seattle. We're going to go to the Futures game, the draft, and and the Derby as well, possibly the All Star game. But I mean, for for All Stars, it's you know a, a once in your life or twenty times in your life experience, depending on how good you are. Uh, but it's it's probably one of your favorite two day stretches as a baseball player. And it's something that you strive for. I'm sure it's also like all systems go for about 48 hours. You're constantly smiling and talking to so many people and meeting with the media and everything. Just if you can walk us through, you know, the 48 hours that you're in the host city for the all-star game, what does that look like? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I guess going through the first one was when I kind of had all my family and everybody there was and, uh, you know, my family's from Kentucky, so they were able to get up there. Um, you know, we did – you land – we landed really late coming from the West Coast. It was like 1 in the morning or something. And so you wake up a little groggy from the flight and other things on the way there. And then you go and do all your stuff and home run derby. And then we went to dinner and, and kind of went out. There's always these big agency parties and stuff like that yeah. that are – that are big time, that are awesome and, and fun. And, and I think um, kind of really part of the experience, right? And uh, glad that I went to it when I woke up. I wasn't too happy that I did. Uh, but then you go to the All-Star game and uh, the weird one, we were in Cleveland and it, it was kind of a dumb thing that we did, but it, it's what I wanted to do at the time. So Lexington is like six or eight hours south. So I pitched like the fifth inning or something. Walked straight in, showered, got to the hotel, got in the car, drove my two best friends who were passed out in the back and my wife now. We drove back home to Lexington so that we could stay an extra day at home before I flew back out. (laughs) So it was probably not the smartest thing I've ever done, but uh, I think we got to the house at like 4.30 in the morning. Yeah, but you got to have that disconnect, though, which which was probably really nice. Like after all of that, where you're plugged in for 48, 72 yeah. hours, you just 
go to Lexington and probably do nothing for like two days before going yeah. back to LA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think we stayed that day. We got to sleep in our bed one night and then we flew out the next day maybe. Yeah. But the, the funniest part of that story, I, I guarantee he doesn't remember this, but I was a huge Justin Verlander fan growing up and my delivery kind of emulated him for a long time. And we're on the hotel. We've got our bags and stuff. Click the button. The elevator comes down, opens up. It's Verlander and his wife. They're two dogs, I think, and it just goes. And it was not, there was no communication, nothing. I mean, we had all these bags and we probably wouldn't have fit anyway, but it was just very funny that we were like, oh, that's Justin Verlander. Oh, that, that's Kate Upton. Oh. <laughs> so it was kind of one of those, I've made it, but I, I haven't quite made it, made it yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll catch the next one. But it, the cool thing about, about that whole process too is like, I, I was talking to Jeff Conine about this uh, when he came on the podcast about like his first all-star appearance where guys like Justin Verlander, I think for, for him, it was, you know, Ozzie Smith and some of the people that he's looking across the, the clubhouse or whatever event that they're at it before where it's like, Holy shit, I made it. Holy shit. I'm sharing a, you know, locker room with these guys. I'm on the same level as these guys in this context. How, how impactful was that for you in that first game? Because you'd already achieved so much up to that point, you, you know, at, at every step of the way, but that seems to be like the, the ultimate achievement there, right? Where you're earning the same honor as some of your heroes at, at the same time. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, Clayton was in my first all-star game as well. So I got to, we all, you know, went together and we had a bunch of guys that year, probably four or five, five guys probably. Um, but it was also cool. Yasmani Grandal made the all-star team that year, 19. He had caught every start, of, you know, almost every start of my rookie year. And then I got to throw it to him in the all-star game, which was pretty cool. And, That's cool. Um, you know, I think one of the coolest parts is literally just the training room kind of before the game because, you know, this was pre-COVID. So you've got all this media in there and probably 50% of the guys that aren't down hitting or whatever are just sitting in the training room because they can't go in there. So it, it's all these guys that you face or grown up watching, literally just shooting the shit and, and hanging out. And so that was probably the, the coolest uh, part of it. And, and I think something that, you know, being an all-star and having your name all over the TV is like cool, but in all honesty, most of us are, are used to that in some respect. Right. Uh, but to be in a room like that is something that you don't really get a chance to do very often. And um, I think that's like the draw of the WBC. That's the, it's just a different thing, you know? Do you want to talk ball or do you want to talk anything but baseball when you're in the room with those guys? No, I think um, you end up, the, the most common thing is probably like, you ask guys how like the weirder guys in the league are that play with them. So like, Oh, how's such and such? Like, Oh, let me tell you this shit. Or, Oh no, he's actually really cool. He just freaks out. Like you kind of get this weird sense of, of how guys actually are. And, and um, it's kind of funny because you will get calls in the off season from the front office. Like, Hey, what did you, what have you heard about this guy? And so you actually really have an answer because you probably asked if the front office is calling you about those guys, that's probably the guy that you're going to be asking about at the all-star game. Right. And so um, you get stories and, and whatever, but it's pretty cool. What, what was the difference, I guess, with the second one and the first one for you? Because you have, you have the novelty of the first all-star appearance and then 
the second time you know the drill, uh, you, you kind of figure out probably what you like, what you don't like. The the All Star Weekend and Week always adapts a little bit too. I don't I don't remember the timeline wise, but I think the second one would have been where they now had the draft and kind of turned it into mm-hmm. a whole week for you. Um, what are your thoughts on that from a player's perspective? And you know, how was your experience in the second one? Because I do have some thoughts on on the whole week, I guess, from a fan or media perspective, but I'm curious yeah. on on the player side. Uh, yeah, we got actually really lucky in 21. Well, I guess lucky and kind of unlucky. Colorado is universally like the hardest place on your body to play. Mm-hmm. And I had started like three days or two days before we got to the All-Star game. So I was actually the one guy that didn't throw in 21 because I, Doc was managing and uh, – I was on like day three, like it would have been my bullpen day. It would have been fine. I would have loved to have thrown, but it's like, all right, if everyone else is allowed to throw, then maybe I just, I won't. And so I didn't throw and and whatever, just hung out the whole game. But the interesting thing was we opened up in Colorado. So we were in Denver for like six days and we had to move hotels because we moved from the all-star hotel back to the team hotel and um, I just remember it like being a, a rough stretch being there for six days on my body. You know what I mean? Uh, but no, it was, I think I definitely um, was a little more prepared. I think the first time you're like, you know, they give you a packet or whatever, and you're like in it all day trying to make sure you don't miss anything or, or whatever. And, and, you know, I think I was late to the media stuff, the second one. And it, it just, it is what it is. Like, you kind of understand that everyone's there to have fun and kind of enjoy themselves. And um, it was really cool actually to go into the home side in Denver because we had, yeah. I've played there so many times. Uh, they have an unbelievable facility there and, and uh, their, their roadside is actually pretty nice, but their home side is, is one of the better ones I've ever seen. Well, and it probably made the night after the Derby a bit enjoyable too, knowing that you weren't going to throw. Um, I'm, I'm sure you had a good well, time. I, I don't think it, it wasn't in stone. I, I was down in the bullpen with, with spikes on. I was ready to go, but okay. I think I was. it was kind of known. I think there was a couple of guys who were kind of waiting on managers, and yep. that's kind of the inside the All-Star game thing is like the managers get on the phone and be like, hey, what do you need? Like, can this guy go? Can this guy not? And, um, you know, luckily everyone else could go, and so it worked out pretty good. Last all-star question for you. Um, who should be starting the all-star game for the National League, and why should it be Clayton Kershaw? Um, you know what? It's kind of crazy because this would be, what, the second straight year, yep. right? And it, and everyone keeps talking, no, he's getting older, he's getting this. Like To even be in those conversations is so – like I've never been in that conversation, right? Like I've had good years. I've made two all-star teams. Like Nobody's ever said, like, Walker Buehler should start the all-star game. And so for him to be back-to-back years for whatever reason in L.A., and, and I think that was so cool and, and the right thing. But now he comes back and he probably should, like just on the numbers, right? And so I just think it's kind of a testament to him. I think this is his 10th All-Star game when everyone else in baseball is just trying to get to 10-year service. Like that's yeah. a giant goal. Yeah. And he's got 10 of those games, so – uh, it, it's pretty cool, and, and you know, I don't, I don't know. I would want anyone else to to throw the first pitch of that game. Uh, so, can you kind of contextualize? Because I feel like there's a lot of things where you know fans may put 
more stock on than the players do or or less in some instances. And I feel like this one is is actually seems like it's pretty level on both ends, which is I think this the specialty and like I guess this how much it means to get the ball in the all-star game, even though you're not gonna run out there for six innings and desperately try to get your team a win right. like game one in the World Series. How important, like how much does that mean to a pitcher to to be able to get that nod as like the starting pitcher in the all-star game? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know if it's because I was so young or, or so naive or whatever, but I was honestly way more nervous running in, running in for the All-Star game than I was in the World Series either time I pitched in it. Wow. Uh, like physically. There's a difference between like your brain and then like your shaking, right? And the All-Star game, I remember in Cleveland, we're not talking in L.A., we're not talking in Yankee State, like Cleveland – and I'm like physically shaking on the mound, which is something I probably hadn't felt since maybe my first start in college. You, you know, like, what do you think brings weird, that on? I don't know. I, I think it's the fact that every guy you grew up watching is watching you now. I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can always say like, well, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, or Clayton Kershaw doesn't watch my starts. Like, I watch them, right? But when they're sitting in the dugout they're watching it, yeah it's a, it's a different thing and so even when you pitch against them right it, they're in the tunnel but when they've already thrown and you know they're sitting in there and you know on the american league side there's all the guys and degrom and it's just like it's a weird it's a weird kind of feeling and a weird experience for sure it's also probably a different competitive juice that comes out of you right because in the world series it's i'm gonna go mow these motherfuckers down like i'm gonna go pitch for the la dodgers and give them my best for the national league all-stars it's not like you have this overwhelming sense of i've got a i've got to kick ass this inning it's well i I would say in 2019 it was different than that right we had played boston in 2018 in the world series they had home field oh yeah so there's a little thing of like this kind of means something here because i had just gone through it right Mm-hmm. And knowing that had we won, I guess we lost 4-1, we should have won game four. I was going to throw game seven. Like, I was 23, just turned 24 years old. Like, or no, yeah, 20, whatever I was. Like, I was going to have to go back and throw game seven in Boston. Like, there's some weight to that yeah. whole thing and some value to the home field thing. And, and I think it just so happened that it was that year that, you know, had it had it made the All Star team in twenty, no COVID, whatever. Like, I don't think I would have had the same kind of respect for like this game. And then I gave up a run, and so it like made me mad and and whatever. But um, yeah, there, I think there's definitely some competitive thing to it. Uh, I don't know how they could incentivize it much more than they do. Um, but I do think the home thing starting to see some real from Derby fields because. I mean, he went a million bucks or whatever. Like Pete Alonso for a while had made more money in the home run derby than he had as a player. Like, yeah. The, yeah. like there's some cool, cool stuff going on. And um, yeah, it's, it's just a special, special experience. So you teed me up for one more. I'm sorry. You, you keep, no, you keep, you're just putting it in a perfect spot every time. <laughs> I'm like, I got to ask one more all-star question. So that was always one that I couldn't totally figure out where I stood on it. Cause I did, kind of agree with you in terms of the bringing a value to the game, you know, other than it just being an exhibition kind of 
makes you hold on to it a little bit more. But also there's a, there was a part of me that's like, okay, yeah, but this is an exhibition game and that's going to decide who has home field advantage in the World Series. I couldn't right. totally figure out where I stand on it. I feel like you could give a much better perspective on that as a player who's played in multiple games and been affected at least once by the yeah. outcome of the All-Star game. Where do you stand on it? Obviously, it's it's a moot point now, but I'm just kind of curious because it was such a big topic for so long. Yeah, I mean, you can you can see what happens to the Pro Bowl, right? Like the Pro Bowl was this cool thing, and when we didn't have Netflix and ESPN Plus and all of this stuff that we could go watch stuff, like Pro Bowl was cool. People watched it. They loved it. And now somewhat meaningless and like 30% of the players back out of it, right? Yeah. And so the All-Star game having something – you know, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, like it, it has a pull on the player. I'm like, oh, I, I had this whole thing set up to go to Cabo, but I snuck in the all-star game, right? <laughs> like that happens. And guys like have vacations ready to go. I know guys that plan a vacation every year who make the all-star team every year because it's a superstition of of not assuming and, and all of that stuff. But when you have something that kind of brings a pull to them and you know, the th- their three best friends on other teams all texting back, hey, we'll see you in wherever. Um, I think it kind of brings a, a different dynamic to it. And, um, you know, I think we're at a point in football, I, you know, A-Rod says some interesting things and some things that I don't really agree with all the time, but he was talking on the Sunday night game about, you know, needing the stars to show up and, and because of all this competitiveness and in what people watch and, and he may have had a point on that in, in that this kind of all-star game home run derby thing, we, we need the best players to be there and, uh, you know, the most popular players. And I think the commissioner pick thing is, is a really good thing in terms of getting these guys at the very end of their career that uh, have done it for forever and yeah. uh, deserve kind of that send-off thing. And, and I know with Albert, I, I think that probably – what happened to him in LA probably provided a spark for his second half of the year yeah. and kind of probably re, you know, reinvigorated him a little bit. And, um, you know, it, it just took him going to the home run derby. Right. And, and then you got to see this kind of special run at the end of the year for him. And, um, so it pays dividends. Right. And I, I think that's, that's a really cool deal. Now I don't know how many of those picks it should be. I don't know. Um, I kind of like the old school manager pick stuff because you get incentivized for being really good the year before because you're a manager and, you know, if it's a fringe this, fringe that, well, you're on a good team, more pressure, like tie goes to the runner situation, right? But it's probably, uh, you know, the the pitcher that threw 170 innings and mailed it in the last year or the guy that pitched all through the playoffs and they have similar numbers the next year, like – yeah, probably the the guy on the really good team should be the guy. And so I, I like the little bit of arbitrary, like, no, this guy goes and this, you know, I think it's really cool. And, and I think that also will help. Um, I think there should be a little bit of like, there, there should be a certain amount of first time all-stars personally, especially at certain positions, right? Like Will Smith made the all-star team this year. I personally think it should be a second or third, you know, at least a second. And that position has been really ruled by a few guys for a long time. And I think if their contracts were the same, I think who would you take? You'd probably take Will Smith. And so I think that's what the All-Star game should be about. Now, do I think 
old school guys that have been unbelievable players should be in it. Sure. But, you know, make that roster bigger and, and get all these guys and have 80 of the best players in the world instead of 60 and, and let these guys say, Hey, I'll come, but I can't play, you know, like then maybe you start getting a different little bit of turnout. Yeah. Last, last all-star question for you. It's a yes or no question. <laughs> Would you ever throw an inning mic'd up or no? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I would have no problem. Nobody could say anything worse to me than I say to myself when I pitch. But would you be worried about saying that on a hot mic on international television? Oh, they'd have to they'd have to delay it and stuff. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> Noted. Okay. Um, yeah, the, some of the stuff I say, there's no network that you can say it on. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Netflix. <laughs> no, I don't even know if you can say it on that. Some of it. Great conversation with Walker, as always. Um, it's kind of nice, like, huh, I wonder what the All-Star experience is like. Why don't we just talk to our All-Star correspondent? Yeah, yeah. Works. Peter Apple, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, Ryan Miller, who's our Pirates guy? <laughs> yeah, he's putting out a mock, just wait. Just okay. wait. Okay, all right. That's just well, actually, Peter, by the way, skinned his leg, like, off. I don't know if you mentioned that. That was so gross. So no, nasty. So nasty, and, bro. Okay. And he sent us an unsolicited photo of it. And no, I think I asked for it. I think I asked for did it. Did you ask for it? Okay. So he slid in shorts in a softball game and just ripped his hardo. skin off his leg. Total hardo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's uh, he's he's already two two TikToks deep and uh from this from the men's league, too. Dude, um, I, yeah. I mean, I just here's the thing, like I can handle that shit. But I saw that photo. I was like, I would have. No, 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 dude, dude. Peter, Peter's a tough motherfucker. Like, I, that's that's why I was worried. It's like Peter is a tough motherfucker. When he said like I I could barely walk, my legs messed up. I I was like, he must have really like really messed it up on a slide. That picture is gnarly, and yeah. I can't imagine what that shower felt like. No, I that probably felt so it. bad. Oh. I would have been I would have been on the first Uber to Lenox Hill uh, immediately <laughs> after that. But um, good on him for not good on him for toughing it up. And the real man. Yeah. But also a good thing you didn't actually rub some dirt on it because that. Oh, no, no, no. Insane. I was like, I, I literally my first thought was like, bro, like make sure that doesn't get infected. Like, yeah, like wrap it up with like something, man. Go get some yeah. gauze from Walgreens. Um, yeah. All right, let, let's wrap with the Chapman deal because Araldis Chapman is now on a contender, man, and, and he fortifies the back end of that bullpen. We started talking about what the Rangers may need at the deadline, and all eyes immediately went to the back end of that bullpen. It went to the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. How are they going to win tight games? Because they're going to outscore a lot of teams. They're going to be ahead by three runs on a lot of teams in the sixth inning, but how are you going to finish the job? They found the guy to finish the job. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and like, even if he's not always that guy, like if they want to ride the hot hand with the closer role, like a lot of teams do, that's fine. Um, but just to have somebody that's been there, done that. And it's a, it is so, so clear that the stuff is back for Chapman. And, and I think that's, you know, really what it's all about. The command has not totally been there, but the, dude, the strikeout, what is he striking out? 16 per nine? I think so. It's something disgusting like that. Um, the Rangers don't need to do anything crazy. I wouldn't want to shake much up. I, I, you know, I don't want to shake that lineup up. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, it looks good. 
he he's kind of exactly what they needed. I think like nothing that's going to cost you too, too much. I'll talk about the prospect return. Um, but somebody that can put you over the top with you know, the, the late innings and, and shut the door on, on the biggest stage. Like, He's not balking at the, at the big moments. I know he's had some infamous, you know, game series losing home runs. He's given up. That just comes with the territory of being a closer and being there a lot. Um, yeah. He's been better and better as it's gone on too, which is, which is pretty amazing. The last four outings for the, uh, for the Royals were four innings, no runs, eight strikeouts, no walks. It was a negative 0.75 FIP. Yeah, he's punching out 16 per nine. He's up to 102, 103 again. And I he here's the thing about Araldis Chapman. When he finds something mechanical, you can see it. Mm-hmm. And like he only has this one movement. And, and he turned one into two where he was big, strong man, like fills out that jersey like very few in baseball do. But, you know, it, when he was peak Chapman, it was all one fell swoop of a movement it was almost rhythmic where he's coming up and then he's dropping and then he's flying towards the plate and he's got this much weight working there now he's almost going station to station where the leg comes up he drops and he fires he's still a big enough man and still can generate enough momentum he's got 102 103 in there he found a he found a way to tap into that and i want to you know, tip my cap to whoever helped him tap back into that because he. I think there was there it. was a story on that specifically. Like there's there's definitely like a, like specifics on that. Like on what you're saying. Like it's not just like, oh, maybe he did this. Like you're 100 percent right. Like clearly mechanical. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and you know, as you age, you can't rely on that twitchiness and that athleticism as much. He's such an athletic pitcher that his delivery is still incredibly athletic, but just in a different way. And I think it's more sustainable because last year I felt like we saw the ebbs and flows. It was like some days it was 102. And Peter would always talk about that where he'd be like, I knew when Chapman was going to blow it because the first two pitchers would be 98. Um, And you haven't seen that this year. It's oh, it's consistently 102. So whatever he's found with his delivery, it's more consistent. And I think it's, it's easier for him to repeat both from an effort perspective and, and from like a release point perspective. Yeah, no, he is like, we had the Herman conversation last week, like character flaws aside. When this guy's on, he's must see television. Like this should bring you back to Cincinnati Reds or Aldis Chapman. And Cincinnati Reds or Aldis Chapman was fun as fuck. Oh yeah. I mean, dude, that was watch. I'll never forget the first time I watched him pitch in person. It was like one of the first games of the new Marlin stadium. And you know, it was just one of those times where, you know, you're watching something special. Yeah. You're just checking the radar gun, checking the radar gun. But I just watching that guy throw, it's just like I hadn't quite seen that before. It's like, yeah, and it's that's cool. his shtick. Like that, yeah. that's the guy that throws hard. You know, yeah. Everybody in the ballpark keys in because they know that's the guy that does that one thing really well. But he was kind of, you know, there's everyone has that there's been guys that have thrown hard hard through the years, but like he kind of like was the the 103. He he I feel like was the first person that really pushed what we thought was like conventionally possible yeah. in terms of velocity as a pitcher. He was the first guy to break 105. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> it goes into the numbers too. Real quick on the return. Um, Cole Reagan's former first rounder, he's been kind of moved to a bullpen role. I'm interested to see what the Royals do here with him. Regardless, 25, 
and has potential, you know, as, as a starter still, I think Um, the last two outings that he made before getting traded were as a starter uh, in triple a. So when he wasn't with the big league team, I I think they were trying to, to still groom him as a starter and he was really good back to back four inning outings. They had to stretch him back out slowly. He's had two TJs, I believe. Um, But seven strikeouts, one run ball. And then the last one was four innings, five strikeouts, two run ball. Reagan's has seen his stuff jump this year. Uh, it was more 92, 93 last year has been more 95, 96 this year. Even in those last two, four inning outings, he's been 95, pretty much 96 averaging. So the stuff's good. Slider sits at 90 with the stuff ticking up. Now the command is kind of taking a step back. So now it's like, can the command get there as well? Yeah. I like this flyer for, for the Royals because you're not going to get anything crazy for him. I like that they went, you know, f- kind of big league ready flyer. And then I'll get to the DSL flyer. Um, but the Royals new regime here, we've talked about it on the call up. They're developing pitching way better. You've yeah. seen some of the guys in Omaha. They're just better than they were last year. Yeah. Um, there's a new vibe there. And I feel like there's a chance here for Cole Reagans. The other thing is he's going to get the opportunity to start really low stress games. Like there, there's no pressure on him to succeed at Instead the big coming league. out of the pen for one of the best teams of baseball. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I better not, you know, I better lower this five nine ERA that I have in Texas. Um, he was assigned to Omaha. I bet he makes a couple of starts in Omaha and then goes up. I bet he's up after the all-star break. Um, I prefer him over Jordan Lyles <laughs> right yeah. now. Um, Lyles, I, it's been an automatic loss. He has lost the Royals have lost every, no one win. He got, he got one. Okay. But dude, like if you have a starting pitcher where your team loses literally every game that yeah. he throws time to make a change, dude, yeah. like and, no, he's, he's getting paid, bro. Yeah. And I think Reagan's is the kind of guy that can be cut from the Max Castillo type cloth where he's a tweener and Austin Cox type cloth. And if one of those guys breaks out, it looks like you have others on the way. Masakato just got the bump to high A. Anthony Veneziano looks good. Like it's fascinating. Last thing on Reagan's crazy headshot. Yeah, Mustache. Yeah, I love it. Staring into the abyss. Like really good headshot. I love it. Very Texas, honestly. Super Texas. But he's now going to Kansas City. I'll I'll say this. One last like kind of iron. Like the one last thing I'll say is you put more irons in the fire when you're the Royals. You have no pitching. Like get as many guys with first round pedigree that have good stuff and, and maybe one of them kind of clicks. Reagan's is a good iron iron to throw in the fire as a six, four lefty. Yes. And then the other aspect of the deal, and this is something the Royals never did previously. Dayton Moore never did this was go for the lottery tickets and the DSL. And, you know, you don't always want to do that. And I love balancing the trade with the 25-year-old South Paul with first-round pedigree and then the DSL lottery ticket and Ronnie Cabrera. I, I won't pretend like I have much on Ronnie Cabrera. Well, you've but gotten I was, several in-person looks at Ronnie Cabrera. <laughs> yeah, I went straight down to the Dominican Republic. Um, his numbers in the DSL have been really good. The limited video I've been able to look at, there's bat speed. Like he, That's a swing where you look at him and say, okay, he's definitely one of the better DSL players like you could instantly see him separating himself and the way it works with these deals is like there's there's a lot of those where like how did the the Rays get Curtis Mead for Christopher Sanchez how did the 
uh, Rays get Junior Caminero from the Guardians, uh, and I believe it was in a, one of the iterations of the Jordan Lupo trades. Like, I think that guy's gotten multiple teams fleeced. Um, like, there's so many of those deals where it's like, how did they pull that off? Well, they pulled it off because they identified a lottery ticket prospect that was going to be a lottery ticket winner before the team that had the ticket even knew. That's what it's all about. So I, I think that there was some cross checker. There was some some scout within the department or the the Royals were in on Cabrera, who is not even 18 years old yet and ultimately signed with with uh, the Rangers that said, I love this guy. I think he can make a difference. If you can get him in this deal, do it. The Rangers are trying to win a World Series. They don't care about the 17-year-old in the Dominican Republic. They do it. Um, I, I, I love the return, all things considered, because they it's a balance of two ends of the spectrum, I think. Those guys are there like they are. He's not the only one that stands out. Um, And like this is taking me to the video that I saw from rookie ball. And this is stateside now. But Lazaro Montes is 18 years old and he popped a 118. This Mariners prospect had a 118 on a homer to right field. Like baseball is better than it's ever been. People like there are going to be stud muffins in the DSL. Go grab them. A hundred percent. And and to your point, last thing I'll say is there's so many studs now that it's so much easier for these guys to fly under the radar. Yep. And that's what happens. And also there's the guys that just blossom later and, and there's so many more variables. Go for it. Go for the lottery ticket. We said it the second they signed Chapman. Oh, that'll be nice. They'll flip him for two prospects. They they basically signed two prospects this offseason. It was it was a great move to, to sign Chapman and great move to trade him. And if they traded him this early, given that they traded him literally before July 1st, that tells you, I think, that they really like the return. And that kind of tells me that they were excited about Ronnie Cabrera. Because why would you sell one of the best trade assets in terms of the relief department on the market a month before the deadline unless you love this return? I think the Royals love this return. Yeah, and they're making good things happen. I thought this was a good trade on both sides, and uh, I think this makes the Rangers that much more exciting. Spores has been like great, obviously great. Uh, Will Smith has been really good out of I, I'm not going to say nowhere because he's been good before, but it's you know somewhat surprising. Garrett Anderson throws weird as shit. I kind of love it. Uh, and now you add Chapman to that stable and, and they got a lot stronger. So really appreciate that. Really appreciate you guys listening on uh, Monday, July 3rd. We will have a July 4th episode. Plan right now is no July 5th episode. But again, we may change our mind and uh, devote ourselves to the hashtag content. We shall see. But thank you guys very much. Every link you need is in the episode description. And Peter and I will talk to you tomorrow.